0: Good morning. So um, when you're the erstwhile choir director of a church and you look at the calendar and realize that uh, Easter is just three weeks away, this big light bulb goes on. Um, So most of you know for the last few seasons, Christmas and Easter, we've done a flash choir, and we're going to do a flash choir again. And so um, Easter is three weeks from today, and uh, I would like to invite any of you who would like to participate uh, to to sign up. There's a sheet on the Welcome Center back there, so you have today and next Sunday to sign up. And what do I mean by flash choir? We're going to have exactly one practice, and that one practice will be at 4 o'clock on the Saturday before Easter. So that would be Saturday, April 8th. Easter is Sunday, April 9th. <clears throat> On Sunday, April second, I will give you um, the printed sheet music for the song that we're doing, and I will email you uh, the the track. So if you're a soprano, you'll get the soprano part. If you're, we don't have many basses anymore, but if you're a bass, you'll get the bass part. So if you're a bass and you've never sung with us before, I want to talk to you. <clears throat> but. Uh, Anyone is welcome to participate, okay? This is, you know, we're not the Mormon Tabernacle Choir here, um, but uh, you, as long as you come with a heart to worship the Lord and to make a joyful noise to the Lord, you are welcome to join us. So again, the sign-up sheet is out on the Welcome Center today. Next week are your opportunities to sign up. You'll have this stuff the week before, take it home, spend some time practicing it for that week, and on Saturday, we will get together and pull it all together, and a miracle happens. And it's a, it's a great thing, so thank you.
1: So I got a few announcements. I don't know if you have your sermon outline, something you can write on there, the back of, and take some notes. I will say it's, it's a privilege to serve with Brother Matt and just getting an opportunity to lead in worship this morning. Um, being the youth pastor here, you see different things go on and, you know, everyone plays a part in such a beautiful way. But thank you, Matt, for your leadership throughout the, the days, right? Can we say that? That's that so appreciated. Amen. Amen. And everything's good. This was just his week off, so... Look forward to next Sunday. Uh, March 26th, you want to jot this down. This is coming up very, very soon. Uh, there's a single ladies' lunch next week after church. This will be hosted by Antoinette Joyner. There is a sign-up sheet as well out there in the foyer for that. Uh, I don't know of any of the specific details, but if you're a single lady, please sign up. <laughs> and beyond that, uh, again, you heard the ASAP announcement from Matt. Uh, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday, uh, just, I guess, heads up this Wednesday pastor don psalm 23 where it's going to be chilly provided so show up a little bit early you can get that so seven o'clock is our general start time but try to get here a little early you get some chilly and get comfortable before he speaks and we have a great time of uh, interactive time of fellowship and questions that go along with that and it's been a really fantastic study the following week we're taking a quick one week break before he finishes that series the following week a brother named Roger Brooks from Alliance Defending Freedom will be here speaking some important things going on in the culture, and so he'll be uh, speaking with us that night. Uh, things will look you know, similar, except we'll have a guest with us, so please do try to attend March 29th for Roger Brooks uh, being with us that evening. And then, again, Easter is coming up so soon. Amen? A great time to invite someone uh, that maybe... Maybe they're on the fence with faith, or they kind of are in and out when it comes to church. It, of course, you know, Easter's a, a great time where people that do come every once in a while will come to church and check out uh, the fellowship that we have going on here. So with that being said, with Easter being so soon, Monday Thursday is the typical commemoration of the Last Supper, and this upcoming Monday Thursday, April 6th from 530 to 7, we'll actually have the a Sanctuary open here for floating communion, so feel free to come by any time uh, from 530 to 7 for floating communion Maundy Thursday. Again, that is the Thursday, April 6th, right before Easter. Easter, huge morning, and then we'll be doing other announcements upcoming. Uh, we have, we'll have some ki- things for the kids. April 29th, a little bit farther past uh, Easter, and this is my last one. I just want to make sure that you have it on your calendar, a Women's Empowerment Conference. So ladies, you need empowerment. You know, again, someone maybe who's struggling in their life and they need some encouragement, uh, something real particular. Again, this is not just single ladies. This is whoever, any kind of a a lady, any age. uh, April 29th will be a fantastic day to make sure you have on your calendar you're ready for the Women's Empowerment Conference, and more information will be coming out about that. God bless you.
2: A lot going on. Let me encourage you to do uh, put mark your calendar for the 29th that Wednesday. Uh, we'll be telling you a little bit more about Alliance Defending Freedom. We've partnered with them as a church for some time in Church Alliance. Roger Brooks specializes in the transgender issues, particularly um, men wanting to compete in against ladies. You know, I've always said if, you, if you're a mediocre man and, and in the sports world, then you just go compete against ladies, you can be a gold medalist. I mean, so. Um, But he's here, and there's a lot of those things going on, folks, right here in our area. And so he's got a couple cases before uh, the the courts, and he's going to come and give us a firsthand look at what's going on in our culture today as it relates to that. So I I think you'll find that quite interesting. Uh, I do want to recognize a special guest with us uh, this morning. I didn't know she was going to come be with us, but I'm glad she did. Her name may sound familiar. Her face may look familiar. Courtney Gills and her husband are here with us this morning. Courtney, would you stand and just let everybody... So if that name sounds familiar, hopefully I did, you voted for her, and this last year ran against David Price for the fourth district of the U.S. Congress, and so I thank her for that. Solid believer in the Lord. Her message many times when she came and spoke, she spoke to us at Durham Ministers in Prayer, was about getting back to the foundation of faith in which our nation was established, and her husband went through, her, through that with her to a campaign is no easy task, and she spent a lot of time doing that, and I just want to thank her for, for her willingness uh, to run. So we're going to, last week, started a study on the, on the story of Noah, on the story of Noah. And uh, hopefully you still have your outline from last week if you took some notes. If not, we gave you a new one, and I, I told you that, um, that I wouldn't get past number one, letter A, and I didn't. And I'll just do a quick recap on that. If you were not here last week and you didn't get to see that, hear that message, I would encourage you to go and watch it online. It's there. But this morning, I wanted to start up, since last week, we talked about a lot of spiritual warfare, some of the demonic activity that is clearly going on in our culture today. But unfortunately, we know that the world's not going to acknowledge it as demonic activity, but unfortunately, the church no longer acknowledges it as that, so we don't war against it anymore. We don't pray over each other anymore, but we did here, and man, what an altar time that we had to see... For me, and and you all are always gracious to respond to the altar at the end of our service, and typically we stand and we pray and meet each other's needs, but I had challenged you to come down and kneel. And as we were praying for some folks just to stand back and to see people kneel between that front pew and this altar all the way in here, families praying together, people praying for each other, to me it was powerful. And I think God did something, and I know he did. And we had an opportunity to pray last week. You know uh, Zandy King, her and Mike are so faithful to us. She had an aneurysm uh, a couple weeks ago and got a chance to go see Mike the night of the aneurysm. Like me, he was a broken man, not knowing if his wife would, would, would survive this, what level of impairment would she had, have. We prayed over her. I'm here to report that Zandy King is talking, she's standing up, she's eating. God has intervened in the life of Zandy King. And I want to say that we've, we and, and many of you have had a chance to go up and see him. Mike sends his heartfelt appreciation to all the calls, the people who've been to visit him. Uh, church, we've done what we're called to do, bear each other's burdens, and you've done that. And, and same with Bob Randall. Bob, we prayed over him last Sunday. He had a ankle replacement surgery, went well. Bob is doing well. Uh, and now you may notice that uh, Brother Dan and Sister Josie, who are so faithful all the time, I'm not here, Josie's facing some health challenges, but I'm convinced that God's not done. He's still in the miracle business. We've prayed over him, and we're gonna keep praying over him and look for a miracle for Sister Josie as well. So, uh, and as well, he appreciates all the prayers uh, as well, so. But this morning, I thought I would lighten it up just a little bit before I got started and say, give you um, 11 lessons that you can learn from Noah. 11 lessons that you can learn from Noah. First, don't miss the boat. We're all in the same boat. Plan ahead, it wasn't raining when Noah built the ark. Stay fit, when you're 600 years old, someone may ask you to do something big. Don't listen to critics, just do the job that needs to be done. For safety's sake, travel in pairs. Speed isn't always an advantage, the snails were on board with the cheetahs. When you're stressed, float a while. Remember, the ark was built by amateurs, the Titanic by professionals. No matter the storm, when you are with God, there's always a rainbow waiting. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Genesis chapter six, Uh, hopefully between the last few weeks you've had a chance, we're in a series now that I've titled, In the Beginning, Uh, We're going to take a a broad look at the book of Genesis. You could really preach through the book of Genesis for years. So we're looking at some of the broader themes. We've covered the creation. We've covered the fall of man. And now we've moved up to Noah. And I'll be sending out the scripture reading well before. And I hope that you've been able to read. And maybe you have some questions for me. I might have some questions for you. I certainly don't know it all. uh, But I hope you're able to read and, and follow along as we go through this. But the, the text this morning comes from Genesis chapter six verses 1 through 14. It says, "Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, "My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years." There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth." And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I just thank you for your presence that we felt here already. God, it makes this easier. I know know that the people's heart had been prepared to hear what you would have to say to them. So, Lord, I just pray for an anointing over these words. These words are not my words, but your words, and a heart prepared to receive them. In Jesus' name. Last week when I opened this, I said the problem with the story of Noah is oftentimes we think it to be a good story, maybe even a fairy tale, because we've all heard it. If you're raised in church, you know the story of Noah, the ark, two by two, the animals. And popular culture likes this story. There's been many movies made about it. So if we're not careful, we begin to see this as a neat story, but it's not, just a, no, it's not just a story, a fairy tale. This is a story of a real man with real sin and real judgment, but most importantly, as this book is from Genesis to Revelation, real salvation, yes. real salvation. And God will see as Noah and his family trusted in God, he provided a way of salvation and he's provided a way of salvation today. The question for Noah though was, was he in the boat? Are you in the boat? Are you in the vessel of salvation today? As I looked at this text, there's three things that jumped out at me. First, the conditions. What was it like in Noah's day? What was it like? Next, the man, why Noah? What was it about Noah that God chose to save him? And then lastly, the salvation, the salvation. I dealt extensively last week with number one, letter A. If you didn't get a chance to see that, once again, I would encourage you to go and watch uh, watch that sermon online. But what it boiled down to is that in Noah's day, there was extraordinary, supernatural, demonic activity. And I made that correlation between what I see as demonic activity in our world today. And as I stated earlier, I just don't think the church, I know the world don't acknowledge it, but unfortunately the church is not acknowledging it. And the world is hungry for it, as you saw in a study that I gave, that during COVID and most recently as people called in for help, they're asking for prayer. They're asking for spiritual support, but there's nobody there to provide that. But there is, there are churches like ours, church around the world that do provide that, and we do still believe in fighting against the forces of darkness but next in B it says man's heart was on evil continually now how many of you have been to the ark I know quite of you have been how many have been to the ark I see a few if you've never been to the ark or the creation museum I would encourage you to go it's in Kentucky it's within driving distance and particularly if you're a young family here this morning because folks popular culture the schools they're not going to teach your children these things exactly they're going to teach you to teach the opposite of it It's up to you as parents to teach them about these things. But as I was walking up to that ark, there was a placard there, and it had this scripture on there before you go to the ark. And I remember reading it and asking myself, and I still ask myself today as I read that scripture, how does that compare to today? How does that compare to today? Lord, is people's heart on evil continually today? What was it like? Was Noah's day that much worse In some regards, I think it was because only eight people were saved. Only eight people were saved. But I am convinced that throughout our culture today and around our world, people's heart is still on evil constantly. We see the the default condition of man is wickedness. Jeremiah said, the heart is above all things desperately wicked. Who can know it but God? And our hearts left to themselves will gravitate to wickedness. But it says it was on evil continually. It said the earth was corrupt and filled with violence. I see so corruption so much in our society today. I see it in our government. I see it in our schools. Unfortunately, sometimes I see it in our churches. Corruption and violence. Last week I talked a little bit about the never-ending mass shootings. We get up, seems like every morning there's another mass shooting. Violence, violence. Just this week, if you watch WRAL, Right here at Hillsburn Coal Mill Road at five o'clock in the afternoon, busy time, right there in that shopping center where the cookout is. Three cars shot up, man shot and killed, right there, bullets flying everywhere. I'm afraid we've cheapened life so much that life holds no value anymore. We've cheapened, we've glorified violence to the point that when, that's people's initial response, and it's because of the wickedness of our hearts. But then in light of all that, Jesus said something interesting. In light of all that, here you have saying, look, there's supernatural, demonic activity. People's evil is on on their hearts continually. There's corruption. There's violence. But many were living ordinary lives. Many many were just living ordinary lives. Jesus in Matthew 24, which is often known as the Olivet Discourse, the reason it's known as that is Jesus is in the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, and he's teaching to his disciples, and his disciples want to know something that we really all want to know. Aren't we all somewhat fascinated with end-time stuff? Our world's fascinated with it. Everybody is, Lord, when's the end of the age? That's what they wanted to know. And nobody knows. There's been books, 88 reasons why Christ is going to return in 88, and you had all kinds of stuff. Nobody knows. But Jesus said we can discern the times. And there's a lot of people who've been studying Bible prophecy a long time that say we're in a unique time in our nation. Are we in the last days? Yes. When Jesus ascended to heaven, that was the last days. Are we in the last of last days? Sometimes I think we may be. We can't just get fixated on what's happening in America. Look at what's happening around the world. I particularly am paying attention to the fact that you got Ukraine and China trying to form a... I mean, Russia and and China trying to form an alliance. I just, I see a lot of things. Benjamin Netanyahu is once again the Prime Minister of Israel. When I see all those things, I, I kind of keep an eye on the sky. But, but most people don't. Most people won't. This is what Jesus said it would be like. He said, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days of Noah before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away so also will the coming of the son of man be. So apparently in the midst of all the violence in the midst of all the corruption people were living their lives not unlike today. I get up each day just like you do and I Go, I go about my day, I have work to do. I have, some of you are younger. you're trying to get your kids to school, you're trying to get them to ball games. You, you, life is going on. And it was here. It was here. And in Noah's day, there was only eight people that were concerned about what was coming. No one else was. Most of the people who go about the culture today, living their lives, doing the things they're doing, they're not the least bit interested or concerned about end times things. They mock and scoff at that. Most of them, I think, is the Bible calls a depraved mind often. So at some point, God can turn us over to a depraved mind. Pastor Don gave one of the best definitions of that I've ever heard. It's a a mind and a heart devoid of judgment. How many of you think sometimes people who live in wicked lifestyles get up and think, is today, today, I will face God's judgment? God's judgment scares me, folks. I'm concerned about God's judgment in my life. It's it's a catalyst to make me want to live holy before Him. But I know a lot of people, they have no concern for that whatsoever. It never crosses their mind that this could be the end of time. So we see the conditions. Demonic activity, evil hearts, corruption and violence. But even in the midst of that, people are living their lives. What about the man? In the midst of all that, It says, but Noah, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. We think of grace, I think, too often as a New Testament-only concept. We say things like, we live in the age of grace, and we do. We're not under the law, we're under the grace, and we are. But understand that everything that we receive from God, from Genesis to Revelation, is by God's grace. God's unmerited favor. When God told Adam and Eve, I'm not going to curse you because you sinned. I'm going to curse the serpent. I'm going to curse the ground. That was because of the grace. He, he extended unmerited favor to Adam and Eve. But they, they, their sin resulted in consequences. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the first time the word grace is used in the Bible. And Noah is a very significant man in the story of redemption and he's mentioned 50 times in nine different books. And we can know that he's a real man and this was a real incident because Jesus himself, as we saw in Matthew, spoke of him. He said, in the days of Noah. He was a real man and a real event. Noah was a righteous man. This is the first time this is mentioned in the Bible. The word righteous is our standing with God. Righteousness refers to our standing with God. My righteousness, your righteousness, the Bible tells me, is as filthy rags. The only righteousness that I have, the only righteousness that you have that will matter is the righteousness of Christ. Anything else is filthy rags. And if we stand before God on a judgment day with anything other than covered in that righteousness, we'll be eternally lost. It's the first time that righteousness is used... Not only that, the Bible says he was a preacher of righteousness. He was a preacher of righteousness. He tried to tell people, judgment's coming. He tried to tell people about God. He tried to tell people that what was going to happen, what God had revealed to him. And there, fortunately, there's people who stand behind pulpits from coast to coast and around the world saying the same thing. And unfortunately, it seems like it's received many times the same ways. He was a preacher of righteousness, according to 2 Peter 2 and 5. Noah was blameless in his generation. The King James and the New King James say he was perfect. That's not the best translation there. If you read that translation, the better word is blameless. Righteousness refers to our standing with God. Blameless refers to our standing among men. Better synonyms there would have been Noah was a just man and Noah was a man of integrity. Let me ask you, would people say you're a person of integrity? If we're followers of the Lord, does our lives exhibit integrity? Integrity has been defined of what you do when no one's looking, what you do when you think you can get away with something. We know we never get away with it with God, but what will you do if you feel like you can get away with it? Noah was a just man. Noah was a man of integrity. He had a blameless reputation amongst his peers. Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God. Maybe that's because Enoch. Last week we looked a little bit at the genealogy of Adam and we saw in that there was a man named Enoch. And the Bible says Enoch walked so closely with God that God took him. Just took him out, took him away. Two people never died. Enoch and Elijah. And Enoch was Noah's great, great grandfather. How many of you have uh, family reunions? How many of you have family reunions? And when you get together with your family reunions, do you kind of talk about your family tree a little bit? Well, we do. We do. Can you imagine that family reunion? Hey, do you know about, did, did y'all hear about great-great-grandpa Enoch? Yeah, what, yeah, no, tell us about great-grandpa Enoch. He walked so close to God, God just took him. He's gone. Now, that's a spiritual heritage. But here's the, here's the thing. We all, I'm thankful for my spiritual heritage a few a couple years ago, I did a Wednesday night study on our, on our natural heritage and our spiritual heritage. And I asked the congregation, I said, raise your hand and tell me who you credit your spiritual heritage to. Man, and so many people just wanted to tell the story, tell the story. Because we all think about that grandmother or that great-grandmother or maybe our father or mother or whoever that kind of led the family in faith. I, 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 my dad's mother, my grandmother, Madge Williams is ours, a Mormon God saved her out of the Mormon Church. Her whole family disowned her. One of the founding members of Evangel Assembly of God. It was hard for her to be a follower of Christ. It cost her something. So her faith was strong, and she led my dad and her kids to the Lord, who led me to the Lord, and I've led my children to the Lord, and I hope my grandchildren are led to the Lord because that's God's design. It's not the school's responsibility. Every time I hear that, and I listen, I know people say, well, we went south and we took prayer out of schools. I, I, I'm with you. But it was never God's design for the schools to teach your children about the fear and the admonition of the Lord. That's the family's responsibility. And I'm afraid we've kind of relegated it, kind of like we've relegated the spiritual warfare. It's our responsibility. But Noah walked with God. And lastly, Noah was obedient. In Genesis 6 and 22, it says, Then Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. God told him, Noah, exactly how to build that ark. Exactly how to build that ark. And it wasn't easy for Noah to be obedient. It took him 120 years to build that boat. 120 years. And you know what was interesting? He's building this boat, and he's people are coming. Can you imagine people are coming around? Now, in the movies, and a lot of times people will say, Well, they laughed at Noah, they mocked Noah. The Bible doesn't tell us that. I think we can draw that conclusion in that he's the only one and his three sons that are trusting in God, believing in God. And so surely everybody else is like, Noah what are you doing? I'm building a boat. Why? It's gonna rain. Water's coming out of the sky. And you might think, well, that's not that big a deal. Well, it had never rained before. The earth up until that time was watered from the bottom. So Moan said, look, this whole earth is going to be flooded with water, and, you know, I'm, I'm, come get on this boat. There'll really be room for me on you. No, you're crazy. You're crazy. And no doubt his sons, can you imagine his sons? Dad, can't we just go do what everybody else is doing? Can't we have fun like everybody else? Why we got to build this boat? Why we got to come to church? Why we got to study God's word? Nobody else is doing it. Because judgment's coming, son. Because judgment's coming. He was obedient. He did what God told him to do. That's the conditions. That's the man. And now the salvation. Noah said, hey, judgment. God told Noah, judgment's coming. In Genesis 6 and 13, God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me for the earth is filled with violence through them and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. But people scoffed and they made fun. Not unlike today. Not unlike today. 2 Peter 2, 3-7 through Peter talking about the coming judgment as well says this, Knowing this, that scoffers will come in the last days. There were scoffers in Noah's day. Scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. That's not necessarily sexual lust, that's greed, everything else that we think about. Scoffers will come in the last days. And saying, Where's the promise of his coming? And so there's people, maybe you've shared this with your family, with your loved ones, and your time of witness, and your friends. There's preachers who are saying it. Judgment's coming, and people are scoffing, saying, where? You've been talking about the return of the Lord since he left. When's it coming? I don't believe it anymore. Or nobody's telling them that anymore, so they just laugh, and they laugh, and they laugh. I, I, was, I saw something on Facebook one time where we were referred to as, are y'all some of those rapture nuts? I'm a rapture nut. I'm a rapture nut. I ain't going to sit here and get get into a theological fuss over you about whether it's pre-trib or post-trib, but what I am telling you is he's coming back. He is coming back. And they'll be saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the the beginning of creation. For thus they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water in the water by which the world that then existed, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Peter saying, they laughed at Noah. God preserved the earth until he sent the flood. And that same word is preserving this earth today, is preserving his people, is preserving his church, until the day that the earth will be be destroyed again. But it won't be destroyed by water. It'll be destroyed by fire. Judgment is coming. But he told Noah, he said, Noah, build yourself an ark. Build yourself an ark. In Genesis 6, 14 through 15, Noah said, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits in its width, 50 cubits, and in its height, 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and you shall finish it to a cubit from above and set the door in the ark in its side and you shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. I have a picture of the ark. If you could look up at your screen, I think Christy's gonna put it up. So when we went to the ark, a big storm rolled in. And so I had to take this picture. This is what the ark looks like in Kentucky if you get to go. And I was thinking, man, I, that's probably what it looked like in Noah's day. Noah was telling them. Noah was getting the animals on the boat. Noah was getting ready to go. And then all of a sudden, they began to see something like this. Show the other picture, Christy. So that's the ark. To give you an idea how big that is, and this ark is made according to the biblical specifications. I'm sitting on a bench in front of that. I look about that big. So that gives you an idea of what that ark would have looked like. But God said, cover it in gopher wood. Make it out of gopher wood and cover it in pitch. Cover it in pitch. Pitch was a tar-like substance. It would have kept the water out of the boat. But the Hebrew word there that's used for pitch is used several other times in the Old Testament. And it is translated atonement. It's translated atonement. If you don't know what atonement is, atonement is the appeasing of God's wrath. I don't think it was any coincidence that God put the people in the boat and he said, Cover it with pitch, cover it with atonement, because my wrath is coming, Noah. And there's only one thing that's going to protect you. And it's me and it's my atonement. I'm going to take this this instrument of wood that I've told you to make and it's going to be a covering to cover my wrath as I pour it out. And 2,000 years later, another wooden instrument was created and the Son of God hung on a cross and He made atonement for my sin and He made atonement for your sin because God's wrath had to be poured out on something because He's just. And that wrath was poured out from heaven, and it was poured out on His Son. So I don't have to take it. I deserve God's wrath, but He gave me His grace. And it's no coincidence that it was atonement. It was atonement. But they had to be in the boat. And in that boat, there was only one door. Only one door. John 10, 9, Jesus said this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Pastors teaching on the 23rd Psalm. We're sheep. Sheep are dumb animals. Sometimes we're dumb people. But Christ said, you put your trust in me. I'm the door. I know in our tolerant world today, and I'm thankful that we live in a nation where people are free to worship as they please. I think that was part of the bedrock. But the reality of it is Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. That's our message. It will always be our message. We will never compromise that message. There was only one door of the ark. There's only one way of salvation, and that is Jesus of Nazareth. That was an instrument of salvation. It was a boat. The instrument now is a person. You had to be in the boat. The question is, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? There's the covenant. First mention of covenant here. A lot of firsts in the life of Noah. First mention of grace. First mention of righteous. First mention of a biblical covenant. A covenant is nothing more than what we would say today is an agreement. It's a contract. In the Bible, it's always a lesser, a greater to a lesser. Jesus, God himself, is saying, Noah, I'm, agri- I'm making an agreement with you. You trust me. You put your faith in me. You, you follow me. And I'm gonna protect you and your family from the wrath that is to come. It was a covenant. And then there is the salvation. In Genesis 7 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Notice what he said to Noah. He said, Come into the ark. He didn't say, Noah, go in the ark. He said, come into the ark. God was in there with Noah. Maybe you're in the storm of life today. If you're in Christ, He's not saying go. He's saying come. I'll be in here with you. I'll be in here with you. I'll see you through this. And He saw Noah through it. He said, come into this ark because you are righteous before me. And then in 7.16, it said, so those that entered, male and female, there's that male and female thing again. I think God was trying to tell us something. Went in as God commanded him and the Lord shut him in." That's a huge door, folks. I mean, look, that that picture's not up there anymore, but it was a huge door. Noah just couldn't have went out there and pulled it up. The Lord Himself shut the door. You know, and it said that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And so as I thought about this, I wondered, probably a pretty good chance, that Noah stood at the edge of that door. And can you imagine, I would imagine that. Here's this huge boat. They've never seen anything like it. I would imagine there would have been crowds out there saying, Noah's saying, hey, it's about to rain. Judgment's coming. I can imagine that Noah stood out there and said, would anyone come in? There's plenty of room for you. Come on to the boat. It's about to rain. Judgment is coming. And the crowd sat out there like they do today. And I would imagine there's some saying, that old man's crazy. Judgment's coming. But I imagine there were some out there that said, I'm not so sure that Noah's wrong. But their friends are with them, and oh, come on now. You know you don't want to get caught up in all that stuff, that end time stuff, that judgment stuff. God's a God of love. He's not going to judge anybody. And no doubt there's decisions being made right there. And Noah's standing there saying, won't you come into the ark? And around the world today, people stand and say, won't you come to the cross? It's not too late. But judgment's coming. Just as sure as that door shut and it started to rain, one of these days a trump's going to sound. And all of a sudden, us rapture nuts are not going to be so nutty anymore. But we don't say that with a heart of anger. I say that with a heart of compassion to say if you're here this morning, you've never surrendered yourself to Christ. There's room in this cross for you. And God is saying, Come. All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Come. Verse 23. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing, and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. God saved him because he trusted him. God will save you today if you'll put your trust in Him. I'm going to ask the um, praise team if they'll come up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lastly, is the salvation? I mean, the symbol. The symbol. How many of you love to see a rainbow? I mean, it, it's, it's majestic, isn't it? How many of you seen a double rainbow? It's just cool. How many of you search for the pot of gold at the end? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> That's God's promise to us. And, and, and just as I said that the creation reveals God to us, when I see a rainbow, I mean, one of those that you can really see, I, I I see God in it. I feel God in that, and I see and I remember the story of Noah, how God saved man, saved eight people because they would trust Him, and I remember the cross, how God has saved me because of the cross. But in Genesis nine twelve through seventeen, it reads like this. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I will make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for my perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh the rainbow shall be in the cloud and I will look to it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth and God said to Noah this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth I'm going to ask everyone in this to stand with me i want to read one more scripture to you here in just a minute because judgment is coming, and it, it's not my desire to, to try to scare you, church. I, I don't know that Noah wanted to scare people. I think he cared about his fellow man. And here at Bethel, we care about you. And if you're outside the saving grace of Jesus Christ, you, the Bible says this is appointed unto once to man, once to die, and after that, is judgment. And so we know judgment is coming. We know there's end time things. We know there's going to be a rapture. We know there's tribulation. All those things that we've studied extensively at the the end of last year in our church. But the reality of it is every person who who passes away, particularly if it was tragic, young people in particular, think about young people. I think about this a lot of times when I hear young people passing away, a car wreck or accident or something. And I always, first thing that comes to my mind is when they got up that day and took their shower and got ready to go about their life, they had no idea. This is the last day that I'll walk this earth. Today I will stand before Christ. That's reality. It's not to scare you, but it is reality. And I just hope that you will give that some thought. And if you're not in His saving grace today, you can be. He stands there and says, There's room at the cross, judgment's coming, there's room at the cross. He will no wise cast anyone out. Because the end of all things is going to come one day, and I'm going to see another rainbow. Revelation 4, 1 through 3 says, After these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like emerald. I'm going to see that one day. Not because I'm good, not because I'm righteous, but because I have found grace. God has poured out his grace. He poured out that grace at the cross. And there was a day in my life when I knelt down and recognized my sinfulness and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he come in. He flooded my soul. And there's a lot of things going in the world to be scared about today. I'm not scared of that. I'm not scared of that. Because I know I'm safe in the arms of Jesus. And you can be this too this morning. I'm going to ask everyone if you'll bow your head and close your eyes for just a minute. If you're here this morning and you have felt a tug at your heart, that's not me. That's not my preaching. That's the very Holy Spirit of God saying, come to the cross. If you're here this morning, this altar is open. Nobody's going to laugh. What what concerns me and what concerns the leadership of this church oftentimes is we feel like people let their pride keep them from coming down. Look, nearly everybody in this church at one time has surrendered their self to Christ. It's the greatest thing you'll ever do. Billy Graham said, I have never met a man who decided to follow Christ, who surrendered himself to Christ and lived and regretted it and said he regretted it. I've talked to some people who've regretted a lot of things. That's not one of them. This altar is open. I'm only going to wait just a moment. I said last week it was just something to see people praying. And so I want to challenge you this morning. I, what we're going to do is, is we're going to end our We'll say our service is officially over because I know you have things after church. But maybe you're here this morning and you say, Brother, I have a need. Or I just want to spend some time before God. I want to thank Him for something. You know, a great acronym is, is ACTS. I just want to come adore Him. I just want to come praise Him for who He is. Maybe there's something you struggle with this week. You want to say, I want to come kneel down and confess my sins. Or you're just thankful. God's been good to you over something. You just want to come and kneel in an altar and say, God, thank you. Thank you. And then there's supplication. We go straight to supplication. We have needs. We all have needs. So as they begin to pray, I'm going to ask if you want to come forward and kneel and stand. And then after that, we'll spend a little time and we'll 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 ask for specific needs. But for the next few minutes, as our praise team prays, this altar's open to you. And you can come down and and spend some time before God. this church is that the glory of his name will be our passion not our building, not our programs not our money the glory of Jesus name will be the passion of our church when that's the passion of our church God will move in our midst if you have a special need this morning, a need of healing, finances uh, sickness if you want to raise your hand I know some are already being ministered to somebody will come and pray with you can I get somebody to pray with Delois? Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? The praise team, our service is officially ended. You're free to stay here and pray as long as you would like. They will continue to play. And you're free to stay and worship as long as you would like. If you're visiting, I'd love to meet you out in the foyer before you leave. Praise God. Thank you for coming and being with us today.